is uh, the theme of miracles for us this year. We started with this two weeks ago, and it's all about letting God be God in our midst. It's to know Him and to let Him be known. And I'm excited for the prayer and fast week. I have had the privilege to hear from various every nation churches around uh, the world what God's been doing in their prayer and fast time. Some churches have already done it. Uh, we some of the last churches to do our prayer and fast because of the way our rhythm works. But I want to share one testimony because it would be a miss if we go into this week and go through the motions and pray and fast and read and not expect a miracle, right? I read something this week on one of our Every Nation Church's um, social media page. It says, be realistic, expect miracles. <laughs> I like that. So I want to encourage you as you go into this week, be realistic and expect miracles. So the miracle story I want to share with you today is... I don't know if you guys remember, at some point towards the end of last year, we prayed in this room for our church in Iran, specifically for Nasir, who is the leader there. Um, I spoke to him that week. He gave us three prayer points. And just the biggest prayer point there for those people is that God would reveal himself to the people of Islam and that they would turn to Jesus. And during their prayer and fast week, I heard testimony this week, during their prayer and fast week, his wife's dad and three other family members met Jesus. Turned their backs on Islam and they encountered Jesus Christ personally. Now, I'm sharing that to encourage you guys in the power of prayer. When we pray, do we believe that the scripture says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours? In other words, he was super normal. <laughs> and he prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain. And then we know that he prayed that it would rain, and it did rain. So we too can pray with such faith that when we ask God, we can see the miraculous take place. I want to say to you this week, as we start our prayer and fasting, to be realistic and expect miracles. And as miracles come, let's share them. Let's encourage one another in them. What I love about the devotional that you're going to read, it is taking us through some of the miracles in the book of Acts. We are currently preaching through the seven signs in the book um, of John. So we are learning on this topic. And next week, we're going to make a big announcement of something else that is coming this year with the theme miracles, but more about that next week. So let me pray for us as we get our hearts ready for this important week uh, in the start of this year. Lord Jesus, thank you that we choose this morning to be realistic according to your word. And that your word says that we can expect you to be a miraculous, miracle-working God in our midst. I pray, Lord, as we prepare our hearts for prayer and fast and consecration, as we put time aside, as we put food aside, as we put our agenda aside and we say, Jesus, we want to meet with you, we want to hear your voice and align to your truth, Lord, that you would move mightily in our midst. I pray for my friends this morning, for this family, give us the means to endure with this week of prayer and fasting, to show up at our prayer meetings, to come with faith and expectation, and to expect you to be the God of miracles that your word has revealed you to be. We ask this in faith, Lord. And I pray this morning as your word is opened, and as we study your word, may you speak to each one of us, and may your Holy Spirit be the revealer of the truth of who you are. In Jesus' name we ask, and we say, Amen. I want to ask you a question. Who of you enjoys or appreciates an interruption? Oh, there's some people with hands near. That's amazing. <laughs> you like that moment where you're doing your thing and there's an interruption. Anyone out there that enjoys that? 
Great. So I think I'm in good company this morning. Um, the hardest part is, they say, when you are busy with something and you receive an interruption, it takes your brain about 15 minutes to recover and get focused on that thing that you were busy with. Um, and I'm not here to identify any interruptions this morning, but I'm going to tell us a story of a man that was interrupted 2,000 years ago. And he woke up, probably at first light, his eyes opening up to the day, coming out of that sleep, maybe dealing with his first thoughts, thinking about the night that he was lying on the floor, getting through it. And as he wakes up, he was probably interrupted by a cry. Because this man was surrounded by sick, lame, and paralyzed people. So his first interruption occurred as he wakes up in the morning and he hears someone next to him crying out in pain or in disease. And all of a sudden, the hope of a new day, the hope of new mercies that is there for us every morning is interrupted with the reality that he is still paralyzed 38 years later. Any hope that he might have had leaves him in the moment. All the moments that he thought that today might be the day when the water starts bubbling and someone is there to take me down gets interrupted by the reality of where he finds himself for another day, for another day, for another day, and his story continues. But on this specific day, there's a divine interrupter stepping into his story, and his name is Jesus. I'm going to ask you again, are you okay with Jesus interrupting your will today? We might not be okay with interruptions, but are we okay if Jesus comes this morning, or this week as we pray and fast, or this year as we focus on this theme of miracles, and he comes and he interrupts the order that we so try to keep in our lives? We might not enjoy the interruptions, but I believe that Jesus is wanting to erupt into our world. And I changed the word there from interruption to erupt because I read this quote the other day while I was studying and it says this, a miracle is not an interruption of an order, but rather the eruption of the true order. The order of the creator God into the demonic order of the present world. It is an announcement that the new order is at hand, that ultimately power belongs to the God of creation, of true order, of freedom, and of justice. So I want to upgrade our idea of an interruption and say, God has an order, and if we let him and we trust him, he erupts his order into our world of chaos and disorder, and that is a miracle. Every time he does that, it is a miracle, whether it is saving four lives from wrong beliefs or whether it's touching a body that means healing, God's order is coming. And when Jesus came, the first thing he said is, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A new order has come. So can we be people who become a little bit more comfortable with Jesus' eruption in our life? So let's read the story. And as we read it, let's have faith that God can meet us too 
this morning. I'm going to read from John chapter 5. This is the third of the seven signs that we find in the gospel of John. And I'll speak about the sign because the sign means that it points to something. It's not just a miracle and a story, but it's also a message within the miracle and it points to something. And this morning we're going to discover what this story points to. Why did Jesus interrupt this man's life? But let's read the story together. It'll be up on the screen. I'm reading from the ESV translation. I had a conversation with someone this week. Uh, we were reading Bible together. And he said, I'm reading from the Every Nation Standard Version. Because that's usually the one we read from. It's not. It's English Standard Version. <laughs> so let's read together. Chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jews went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. Stir up while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said that to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is a funny, fascinating, and intriguing story, right? There's so much in there that you, you kind of scratch your head and you wonder how this moment must have felt like and went like and then there's this arbitrary question where Jesus looks at the man who's paralyzed and he says do you actually want to be healed I read that and I'm going like duh Jesus <laughs> of course he's lying there why would you ask the question but there's reason in Jesus's question and we're going to discover that today I believe he's standing here and he's asking us, do you want to be made well? So that's the question we all have to grapple with this morning. Do we actually want to be made well? But let's go through the story. Jesus is on his way to a festival, a Jewish festival. He's part of the Jewish people. And they go to Jerusalem to gather for this festival. And then I love this. Jesus is not so excited about his destination and about the party that's happening he interrupts his own way to the festival to go to the needy. 
He didn't say, oh, I've got all these plans and there's some meals planned and there's some things planned. What would our life look like and our world look like if we as followers of Jesus allow him to interrupt our going to places so that we can reach out to the needy? And here Jesus says, I'm going to pause this journey for a moment, take a detour and go check out this bath. Now this bath was called Bethesda, which means mercy. Fascinating, right? And here onto the scene where this bath called mercy is lying there stagnant, the living water who carries all the mercy in the world steps in. And he comes to challenge where people have put their hope. Because their hope was in the water that would be stirred every now and again. And I don't want to go down all of that theology because that's interesting. The older manuscripts don't actually speak about the angel of the Lord who stirred up the water. And there's a lot of theology around it. Was it really a healing bath? Was it really from the Lord? We don't know. We're not sure. But that doesn't matter because the living waters is on the scene. And when he steps onto the scene, everything else becomes faded and jaded because he is there. So the living water who is called mercy is standing next to the pool of mercy and he's about to interrupt this man's life, but not just this man's life. Remember, it's a sign he's about to interrupt history and change the course for all of us. It's the message that we're going to discover this morning. You've got to see here that this man has done absolutely nothing to receive such mercy. The first thought I want to leave with you this morning is that Jesus steps into our brokenness. We think when we are broken or hurt or sick or in need that Jesus is far off and we've got to do all these amazing things to get close to him. And if we tick the boxes, then at some point he might be satisfied with us and says, now well done, here is that thing that you've been striving for. No, no, Jesus steps into our brokenness. He pauses his journey to the festival. He says, I'm going to take a moment to interrupt someone's life with hope, with change, with a miracle. And that man did absolutely nothing. He didn't even know who Jesus was. He couldn't go like the official who we learned about last week to Jesus said, I've heard the stories. Man, if, can, you, can you please help me? My son, my child. No, he didn't even know who Jesus was. Jesus stepped into his brokenness in that moment. And what this is, is a story of contrast. Because it contrasts Jesus' heart to man's incompetence. There's nothing in us to save ourselves. There's nothing in us to get us out of our circumstances. We can boormark a plan for as long as we want to. But at some point, you're going to have to boormark a plan again. Because the plan only lasts that long. If you don't know what Burmaker plans means, we're afterwards going to lay on hands and pray for the interpretation of tongues. <laughs> it simply means to try and make your own plan to get out of the scenario you're in. For 38 years, there was one plan for this man. Someone can get me to the water. Someone can get me to the water. Maybe today someone will get me into the water. Maybe today I'll be there first. But for 38 years, his plan has failed. And it communicates to us that man is simply incompetent to save ourselves from the brokenness that we find ourselves in.
This, I believe, is the perfect conditions for a miracle. You know how there's got to be certain conditions for certain things to happen and weather patterns. When we complain about the southeaster, up north they are celebrating because they're getting rain. And they need the summer rains. And whenever I have my family from Transvaal visiting us in December complaining about the southeaster, they say, whoa, 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 don't complain about the southeaster because you ain't going to get rain if the southeaster isn't blowing. <laughs> like, why do you want to live in such wind? Well, we live and we're sacrificial so that you guys can get the rain <laughs> up there, you know? But this man was in the perfect conditions for a miracle because for 38 years the plan he had has been failing. What plans have you been holding on to and been trying out that has failed you time and time again? Are you ready for Jesus to step in and interrupt that plan? We don't have it in ourselves to save us from the trouble we find ourselves in. Jesus steps in and he says, let me save you out of your brokenness. And this already is a sign of what is to come at the cross. I will interrupt the order of the world and die on a cross, God becoming man, so that man could be served and pulled out of their brokenness. I'm going to delay for a moment the festival that's coming in heaven and just go and reach out to the brokenness of man. Jesus was pointing them towards that which is to come. That God is a God who saves us from our brokenness. It brings me to my second thought that I want to share with you. Jesus first chooses us. This man didn't call on Jesus. Jesus just stepped up and went to him. He just stepped into his scene. The good news is that 2,000 years ago, the God of mercy, the living water who gives mercy to us, he chose our broken state. He chose us and he chose to become like us. He chose us first and step into our scene because he wanted to reveal his mercy to us. And this contrasts with man's ignorance. See, we carry on in ignorance. We, we don't notice when Jesus is around. We don't pay attention when he comes and steps into the scene. We just remain in the state of brokenness. And like Psalm 73, we sometimes are in that state where it says, I'm like a beast toward you. I'm brutish and ignorant. I'm not aware, Jesus, that you actually chose me. And if there's one message that you've got to hear this morning, maybe for the first time, Jesus stepped into this world to choose you and to save you from your place of brokenness. To give you that miracle that you need that will set your life on a new course. You see, we might hear about the miracles of Jesus. We could preach it every week. We could be blue in the face as preachers. Matt and myself and Melindy and Mario and everyone else is still going to preach. We can preach it, but you can still be ignorant in your heart towards him. But you know what's beautiful about him? He still chooses you. And he's ready to respond to you if you would let the ignorance of your heart break down in front of him and accept him. This man was oblivious to who was standing in front of him. Only later the revelation came, but still Jesus stepped into his world and he chose him. The God of mercy reaches beyond our ignorance and he calls us out of our brokenness and he says, get up and walk. And that's his message to us still today. But the third thought that I really want to focus on this morning is Jesus asked us about our desires. Because he looked at this man and he could have 
He could have just said, get up and walk. But he first stopped to see what's in this man's heart. And in this particular moment, we're going to see that there's even more grace extended, even more mercy flowing from God himself, who is rich in mercy. He asks this man, do you want to be healed? Everything around him, the scenario, the setting, shouted that that was his desire. But Jesus stopped to ask him first, what is in your heart? It communicates so much, but you know what it communicates to me? It communicates to me that God is personal. It communicates to me that he actually wants to partner with us. That he's not a far off force that just kind of runs the whole show and we've just got to be puppets on a string that go through the motions. He leans in and he says, hey, what's the desire that you carry? Do you actually want to be healed? But you know what it also communicates? It communicates that it's challenging that which the man has been coming comfortable with for so long. I want you to hear this again. It's, been, it's challenging that which the man has been comfortable with for so long. When he heard the words, do you want to be made well, he responded out of self-pity. He never told Jesus yes. All he did is say, Jesus, it's been so long. I've been suffering. It's been so hard. Jesus just asked him, do you want to be made well? Jesus, it's been so hard. And you know what I love about this story is that Jesus knew that this man has been there for 38 years. We don't know why. The text doesn't tell us. He might have known divinely that the man has been there for 38 years. Or he might have heard the story of the man. But Jesus knew this. And Jesus didn't go to him and say, Whew, buddy, this must have been tough. And put up a chair and throw a pity party with the man. Jesus knew all the pain. He knew all the suffering. But he said, I'm going to ask you a question and test what's in your heart. And then this man's heart revealed self-pity. Self-beyondering. You know that self-pity is a form of pride? True pride says, I've got an arrogant heart, so I am great. Self-pity says, I'm going through suffering, so I'm really going to focus on my suffering. And talk about my suffering all this time. And this man, because of 38 years, was stuck there. But Jesus pushed through that. The man's response is staggering to me. He didn't leap in his heart to say, yes, I want healing. His self-pity has actually become his identity. I've just become a man who's lying in the dust. Hopefully someday, someone will notice me and reach out, pick me up, take me closer, put me down by the pool, Wait for the stirring, and in that moment, get me inside. I've just become a man lying in the dust. And here, the Redeemer of the world is saying, do you want to be made well? When you hear the word, when you come to church, when you worship, how's your heart before him? Have we become like this man who, yeah, just got to get through this day. It's got to get through this year. It's been so hard. It's, or do we see the Redeemer in our midst asking us, do you want to touch from me? Do you know what? He is so gracious that the condition of this man's heart didn't change Jesus' heart. He pushed through it and he still healed him.
And maybe you've been paralyzed in your self-pity because of something that's happened to you. Can you allow Jesus to interrupt that today? To take you out of that? See, that's the opposite. And this is Jesus not just addressing the man's physical need, but he's after his heart. If we miss this in miracles, we miss the whole point. If we just want to see miracles for miracles' sake, we miss the whole point. Jesus is after our hearts. And he's saying, I'm pulling you out of that identity that you've clothed yourself in and carried for so long, and I'm setting you up for a whole new identity. Jesus was unshaken by the response of this man's self-pity. He still pushed through. And you know what it communicates? It communicates that our darkest moments, our most broken state, or even our place of, of feeling like this man, we're just lying in, it's been so long, even that, Jesus is more powerful. Nothing this morning can get in the way if you allow him to, if he wants to interrupt into your life and change your circumstances. He tells this man, take up your bed and walk. Fascinating words for two reasons. He was telling him, you're not going to come back here, buddy. Take that sleeping place and get out of here. Sometimes when God does a miracle, we think two, three, four days down the road, ooh, I'm actually back at that old sleeping place. We fall back into that old identity. And Jesus says, no, my friend, if I heal, I heal completely. I set free, so get that bed and get out of here. You're not coming back to this place because you've been waiting at the pool of mercy, but the living waters of mercy have met you. The second reason that Jesus said, take up your bed and walk is because he was setting up a sign. He wanted to point to something. He was setting a scenario where the Jewish regulations and the world around it would pay attention to what happened because he wanted to bring a message across. And this brings me to my next point. Jesus disrupts the status quo. Man, can you imagine a church, a people, a world where Christians allow Jesus to upset the status quo as much as he wants? Where we take our money and we give it all away. Where we go into the streets and we see someone lame next to the street begging and we don't flip a coin. What we, call, we park our car and we kneel down and we bend down and we pray for them and we pull them out of their paralyzed state like Jesus did for this man. Where we pause our week and our calendar to fast and it seems like such a big sacrifice, but it's not. In light of his mercy and grace, it's not. But can we be more like Jesus who disrupts the status quo of our planned lives, our planned week, our planned ideas, and then we become religious because in church, church stuff happens, but through the rest of the week, I'm not going to do this miracle thing, but maybe this Sunday someone prays for me and something changes. Guys, Jesus is constantly there to order his world or our worlds according to his purposes. He disrupts the status quo completely. That whole pool erupted in chaos when the man that everyone knows who's been there for 38 years stands up. And not just then, the whole city heard about this story of the man that got healed and even the religious leaders came to the scene and they found this man. Tell us the story. Because when Jesus steps into the scene, everything changes. And that world that we have created for ourselves, that we've become comfortable with, 
has to change somehow. Because Jesus is disrupting that which we are used to. Jesus said to him, pick up your bed. Because it was also pointing to man's failed systems. He knew that if this man was carrying a bed on the Sabbath, that the religious guys would come and challenge that. Because the sign that Jesus wanted to bring across amongst so many others in this moment is that he is Lord of the Sabbath. He's actually the one who created the Sabbath. But this rule of not carrying your bed on the Sabbath day is never a God-given rule. It's one of those rules that the religious people added at the end. Like, here's some more stuff. If you do these things, then you'll be accepted in God's eyes. You see how the story keeps circulating in itself and it's just filled with God's message. Your rules will not save you. And I'm here to upset the rules. I'm here to upset the religious system that you live in because in the end, all of those things fail when Jesus steps into the scenes. You see, we are masters at creating rules, systems, plans, structures for security, structures for health, structures for prosperity, And when that gets a little shaken, we become like these religious leaders who feel that something is messing with our world because we love having control, right? Jesus says, take up your bed, break the rules, get out of here, be set free, and go. It's an interruption when something that we are so used to actually changes. I've heard a quote this week. I don't know who quoted it. Just heard it. Don't know where it's from. But it said this, if you are uncomfortable with the truth, it just means that you've been comfortable for the lie with such a long time. If you are uncomfortable with the truth, it just means that you've become comfortable with the lie for such a long time. The lie that these guys have been carrying is that man has to work to please God. And Jesus comes and again in the story, he breaks through that and says, no. God is a reaching God who steps into your brokenness, who pulls you out of your pain, who sets up your life into a whole new way, gives you a new identity. Get up and walk out of here. Maybe that's you today. You've got to hear these words. I've got to let God define my life, not all the systems and plans that I've created. And then the last thought I want to share this is that Jesus heals us for our holiness. This story takes a bit of a plot twist at the end. This man goes and they challenge him because he's carrying his bed and it's a sin to them on the Sabbath to do that. And he says, the man told me to do it. What man? He says, no, but I can't see the man because Jesus disappeared. Don't know which man in that moment. He couldn't point him out. And then later on in the temple, which is probably around the temple area, probably wasn't within a physical building, but around the temple area where there were prayers and things, this man who's now walking probably wanted to go there and thank God for his healing. And Jesus seeks him out at the time of prayer. And he goes to him and it says this, afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and he said to him, see, you are well. I've asked you if you want to be made well. You came up with all your excuses why you can't be well. I've made you well. See, let's celebrate. You've been made well. And here's the plot twist. Jesus says something interesting. Sin no more. That nothing worse may happen to you. 
The man went away and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. In that moment, when Jesus spoke about his healing and his relationship to sinners, saying sin no more, there was something of God's godness being revealed to him that made him realize, oh, wait a minute, this is Jesus. Sin no more because there's something worse. There's something worse than a paralyzed state you've been in. It's the brokenness of sin. There's something worse than being stuck for 38 years, finding your identity. It's the brokenness of sin. And the worst that'll happen to you if you find yourself in your sin is that you could be healed, but you could be headed somewhere else for eternity. And that'll be away from him. So the miracle has to point us to the holiness it's got to get us saved out of our circumstance, but it's got to put a place in our heart where it says, Jesus, because of that, I'm going to live pure and holy before you. And this moment contrasts Jesus to man's sin's paralysis, because in such a way, this whole story is an imagery of that, that all of us find ourselves in our paralyzed state because of the brokenness and the sin that we find ourselves in. And any system we've tried has failed to save us. And we are so self-centered that we don't carry one another into the healings. But Jesus steps in and says, I am stepping into the world to save man from its sin paralysis. It wasn't just about his healing. It was about his soul and about his heart. Following Jesus from this point forward. And that, my friends, is the message of the gospel. That Jesus came to this world, the proverbial pool of Bethesda, where for thousands of years men have tried to save themselves, but we are incompetent. And because of all the mistakes and the things that we've made and the pain we have found ourselves in, we've placed our identity in the self-pity we find ourselves in. And we have even forgotten whether we want to be made better. And Jesus comes, the one who overflows with mercy, constantly, always giving. He says, I'm going to change this picture. And the greatest miracle occurs when he dies on the cross and all of that mercy flows over us and we are set free. 2,000 years later, we've got to ask ourselves the questions, have we just become used to this world again? Or do we want to say to Jesus when he asks us, do you want to be made well? Yes. Set me free from my brokenness. Set me free from my sin. I want to end with this thought this morning. I'm going to ask Eliana to join me. The last part of our text that we read is Jesus saying, my father is working until now. And I'm working. So the last thought is that Jesus is always working. This story is not just meant for the paralyzed man at the pool. It's the same Jesus there. It's the same Jesus today who says, I'm still working in the very same way. We are incompetent to save ourselves. We ramble on in our self-pity. We are paralyzed sometimes in our soul. We are kept safe by our status quo. And Jesus says, let me do the work. 
Let me do the work. Let me step into the scene and change the story of your life forever. So I want to end with this question. Do you want to be healed? For some of us this morning, it's physical healing like this man. There was a secondary healing Jesus had for him, which was his spiritual state. Saving him from this identity that he was in. So when I say this morning, do you want to be healed? I believe the divine interrupter who erupts into this world with his order is wanting to heal some of us this morning. For all of us, he's wanting to heal our soul and set you free from any brokenness and sin where you've missed the point of following him or even your own efforts to try and follow him. This is all just his mercy. But I believe some of us this morning, he wants to physically heal. We sang this song this morning. Oh, your love is a wellspring, never runs dry. There's healing and breakthrough when we behold you. Jesus, our endless supply. When you sang those words, did you think that this was going to be the message? Now that you've heard the message, you're going to sing the words a little bit differently, right? Because <laughs> we are singing back to him what he has communicated to us in this story. There's healing and breakthrough when we behold you. Not our circumstance, not our reasons, not finding that friend who would listen to us for days and hours on end of all the things that we're going through. No, let's behold Jesus, the man who steps into our world and his mercy flows and he changes everything. That's the story and the sign of the paralyzed man because that's what Jesus does. So I want us to take a posture of worship. I'm just gonna ask Eliana to sing the chorus of this song just a couple of times. You can sing it along if that's your prayer. And then a moment after that, I'm actually gonna ask you to respond if you're trusting God for healing this morning. The healing of your soul and your heart, your inner man, your inner person, and or if there's any physical healing, we wanna pray for that this morning. Let's close our eyes and wait on him.
this morning if you are able to here's how I think we should respond I just told you to get up like Jesus told the man some of you has got to walk away from something this morning and walk towards his grace so with Helena playing, if you need prayer this morning, can you walk to the front so that we as leaders can pray with you? Now don't let the naysayers say, stay in your seat. What will people think of me? See, that's the religious voice. Ah, I'm not sure. I can, it can just happen in the seat. That's great. But you see, there's a partnership that God is after. Saying, come, get up and walk. So if you want prayer this morning, just come and walk to the front. Thank you to those who's bold already and coming. But there's some of you that's holding back. You're letting the naysaying of, of the comfortable system. What will my wife say? What will, my, what will my kids say? Surely my kids can't see me crying out to God for a miracle. Come, friends. Here's an opportunity this morning. Come on, friends. Get up and walk. It's you saying, Jesus, I relate to this message and like this man, I walk out of my circumstance. Can you guys just all take a step forward? As you're standing in front, please, we want to just create space for more. If you are here for prayer because we've got some leaders up front as well, just put your hands out, then we know that we're praying with you. You can still come, it's not too late. Maybe you've been waiting for 38 years. Maybe you've been waiting for 50 years. Jesus is asking, do you want to be made well? If that's you, come forward so that we can pray with you for his miracle touch this morning. The rest of us, let's intercede. Let's intercede. Let's trust God. Maybe you're standing here. Remember, with a body, you have a word for someone. God puts it on your heart to come and pray with someone. This is your opportunity to come and minister alongside us. So let's pray. Let's pray. Let's trust Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I want to extend one more encouragement. If you haven't received prayer and you want prayer,
to come down. Wait until you have had prayer. We're going to continue to pray. Um, you guys can stay, but you can also go. I'm officially concluding this morning, but there's some people that we want to continue to minister to, and it's not too late to come down. We'll just keep playing soft music. Uh, you guys can hang out. Have a blessed week. Remember to embrace this fasting. We'll send all the details on WhatsApp this week so that you keep in the loop. We'll see you tomorrow morning if you want to join us 5.30 at Radliff Park for prayer. And, um, but please come for more prayer if that's you. Have a blessed week. Amen.